Our text for this morning is Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible this morning, if you need one, there should be a blue hardback one in a seat rack near you. And you'll find our text on page 532. That's 532. We're going to consider all of Proverbs chapter 8 this morning. And just to remind you, we are not skipping a text. So a few weeks back, we looked at Proverbs 6, the end of Proverbs 6. We looked at Proverbs chapter 5, and we covered Proverbs chapter 7 in that sermon. So though the last time we were in this book, we were not in chapter 7, we have not skipped anything. As we approach our text this morning, as you're turning there, I want to remind you of the important characters that we find As in chapters 2 and 6, we actually met a character that we'll only reference but appeared in chapter 5, 6, and 7, the forbidden woman and the adulteress. She is in this first section of Proverbs opposite another person that we see in the beginning of the book, Lady Wisdom. And the forbidden woman in chapter 7 entices, traps, and ultimately kills her prey, the fool. On the other hand, in chapters 1, 3, and now 8, Lady Wisdom is presented who instructs and frees and gives those who seek her life. And that's all going to culminate in chapter 9, where we're going to see two banquets that everyone is invited to. The Feast of the Forbidden Woman or the Feast of Lady Wisdom. So Solomon is setting up that final choice before he embarks on the bulk of the book of Proverbs with chapter 7's description of the forbidden woman and the sad state of those who choose her alongside Lady Wisdom and the happy destiny of all who find and choose her. So today, our text is focused on presenting us with the beauty of all of God's wisdom and the rich security that comes from living a life built on His wisdom and trusting His Word, trusting Him. So with that in mind, let's read Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in the front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. 
I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the skies firm above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This chapter that we just read is a last call of sorts. So having walked through the the different speeches that we have seen in the last weeks and months, We've seen this repeated conversation taking place between wise parents and impressionable children, fathers and mothers to their sons and daughters. And at every turn, we have seen how the parents are seeking to instruct their children about the value and the reward of a wisely lived life. Conversely, the parents have been equally forthright in describing bluntly at times the great cost of living foolishly and wickedly in the world. And friends, I want you to see from the very beginning, this is all grace to us. For we are so prone, all of us, to be childish and foolish. But as we have seen from what we see in what we have just read, God has not left us without guidance for how we are as his people to live in a fallen world. We are so prone to think little of the things of God. And thus we think of God very little. Yet here is a reminder in all that we have just read that all of the trinkets and pleasures of this life cannot compare with the riches of God's wisdom revealed and given to us in Christ. And this chapter serves as a reminder that the blessing of knowing God's love for us expressed in his gracious guidance of us is one of the most exquisite treasures you could ever possess. We are drawn in these words to marvel at the, as we contemplate 
that the God of all wisdom doesn't keep his wisdom for himself, but rather in lavish mercy and grace, he showers it upon those who seek it from him. I mean, I wonder if you're struck because this chapter reveals to us again that it is God's very nature to be unbelievably generous to undeserving mess-ups like you and me. And as Christians, we, we know that this Old Testament book was written as a foretaste of the Father's ultimate generosity, which would be fully revealed in sending Jesus for us and to us to become like us in order to die for us that he might rise for us, that we can marvel at the wisdom of God who saves and sustains us. Church, through Lady Wisdom, we hear the voice of God beckoning us to behold him as the source of all wisdom. God invites us to gaze upon his beauty in the person of Lady Wisdom. So for our time, the rest of our time together this morning... We're just going to walk through this text, taking hold of truths as we see them. And the goal of the sage in this chapter is to stir up our desire and our affections and our drive, our zeal to set aside foolishness and to devote our lives to know the God who gives wisdom that we might live wisely in the world that he's made. So I'm not going to give you an outline up front or really a rigid outline for us to follow. Rather, I'm just going to be pointing out these truths as they come up in the text. That starts with this first precious truth, is that wisdom is available to regular people. Wisdom's available to regular people. I mean, we shouldn't remember this from chapter 1 and chapter 3, but Lady Wisdom in these opening discourses of the book of Proverbs is calling out in public places. Now think about that. That, that, that. that reality is actually striking if we'll take the time to consider how amazing it is. Wisdom is not reserved for intellectual elites. Not at all. Where is wisdom at the opening of chapter 8? She's at the crossroads where people pass back and forth. She's on the heights beside the way, elevated above the street where she can be heard. She's at the city gates and the portals, which is another way of saying the entryways to the city where matters of justice and dispute were handled. But the point is, she's where people are congregating. She's not hidden. She's very open and public. Friends, hear me. The the wisdom of God, you need to hear this, this is a gift for you, is not found in an ivory tower of stuffy geniuses. That's not. The wisdom of God is street-level wisdom. She's for regular people like you and me. Dwayne Garrett, one commentator, points this out so well, saying, this would not seem to be a dignified posture for one so exalted as she But the important point is that wisdom is for ordinary people. She's not confined to the academic classroom or to the sacred precincts of the temple, nor is she high atop some mountain where only the hardiest and most determined will find her. To the contrary, she wants to attract all and be accessible to all. The attainment of wisdom is not a quest, 
but a response. It's important. Do you capture that? The attainment of wisdom is not a quest, but a response. Isn't that what we have seen over and over? Wisdom is not hiding from us at all, but wisdom is rather responding. What, how do we gain wisdom? By responding rightly to God who made us in trust, trusting him at all times and in all of our ways, acknowledging him, knowing that he's going to make our paths straight. You know, I was thinking about this this week, and I wonder if some of you have found these sermons from Proverbs discouraging. Maybe you've listened to these texts being preached and you've thought, I'm a fool. I'll never be wise. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't have an influential job or position. Listen, all that may be true. Some of it definitely is true. And yet, you are not without hope to become wise. We are all fools, yet God holds out the offer of his wisdom precisely to fools like you and me. Can you see that the wisdom is not for elites? Wisdom is for fools who will turn from their foolishness and heed the invitation. Wisdom is for normal, everyday moms and dads and kids and husbands and wives. Wisdom calls out to us. She is not hiding from us. Friend, I would say, far from being discouraged by these sermons, you should be encouraged with this reality. God is not hiding wisdom from you. Or hiding it in a place you can't find it in your normal life. It's available to you and me. Wisdom beckons all who would come to her to receive her. But the question we've had kind of over and over in the beginning of the book of Proverbs is, is where do we start? We've learned the beginning of of wisdom is the, the fear of the Lord. But how practically do we begin becoming wise? I think we've already seen this, but it's enforced here. It starts with our ears. That's the second truth I want you to lay hold of this morning, that wisdom speaks to us. Wisdom speaks to us. We've heard over and over from the Father and from wisdom herself that if we would have her, we must hear her. Look at how that's laid out in verse 6. She speaks noble things and only what is right. In verse 7, she speaks truth because wickedness is an abomination. Then verse 8, her words are righteous. And the second of, of the, part of that, verse 8, actually contrasts with what we saw last week. Lady Wisdom says nothing that is twisted or crooked. How different from the worthless man with crooked speech whom we met last week. The devious man sows discord and strife with crooked words. Nothing that wisdom says to us is crooked. And verse 9 encourages us, telling us that if we listen to wisdom, if we would hear God speak to us, we'll, we'll hear that through the Scriptures. Furthermore, that that truthfulness will resonate within We who fear the Lord. Wisdom's words in verse 9 are all straight 
to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. When we come to the scripture, when we read the Bible, when we sing rich gospel songs or listen to sound teaching from the Bible, is it not our experience that we recognize the truthfulness in them? You see, the one who understands and fears the Lord has come into a relationship with God by faith, hears God's word and says, that, that's true. That's true. I understand. That's true. And we know this. We've heard this truth before. We heard it in John's gospel when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You see, when we have come to God, in faith, through Jesus Christ, the message of fools does not disappear. It is still tempting. But it doesn't ring with the same eternal truth that the gospel does when we hear it. The invitation of wisdom is an invitation to listen, to hear words of truth in a world of deception. And again, we are faced with this question that we all must wrestle with, all of us. Is it God's voice I listen to above any other? Friends, ask yourself that question. Is it God's voice that you listen to above any other voice? Or is his voice, his word being drowned out by the other voices in our ears? And church, the word, the words of wisdom, the voice of God through the scriptures, is of all surpassing value. That's verses 10 and 11, where wisdom tells us her words are exceedingly more precious than gold, silver, and jewels. Do you buy that? Like if you had the option today, wisdom or money, wisdom or cash, what do you want? Maybe you should be real honest about what you would choose. I mean, how much of the world's energy, time, and effort is spent on the pursuit of material wealth? Money itself is not wicked, but the love of money is a breeding ground for wickedness. This is what Paul said to Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And loving money is easy. It's easy to fall in love with money. It makes life easier. Wealth gives you access to all sorts of pleasure. Yet, if we're honest, all of them, none of them actually last beyond a moment. We know this: none of the treasures of this world truly last because they can be taken for you, from you quickly. I mean, has anybody filled up your car with gas lately, right? Your money can go fast. As fast as that digital thing that keeps a record of how much you're spending can spin, your money can go. But wisdom, wisdom, the life-giving truth that never diminishes, that never fades, never loses value. I mean, with all the news of inflation and economic woes, what a precious reminder from the Lord here. God calls to us and reminds us that the truth that he gives, the wisdom that he gives is imperishable, never fading, 
never losing one, one small atom of its value because his wisdom is transcendent, meaning it is beyond this world. The truth and wisdom of God has never lost any worth because it comes from an infinitely worthy and glorious God. That's why nothing we can desire compares with wisdom. Did you notice he, he actually says that in, in chapter 8? All that you may desire cannot compare with her. The teacher doesn't claim that we won't desire other things. Notice that's not what he's saying. But that there is nothing that we desire that is even worth comparing to gaining God's wisdom. It's like wisdom is daring you to try and weigh her value against anything and everything that you could desire from the world and watch the tips, the scales tip in the favor of wisdom every time, no matter what you put. But maybe you're like me, and I ask this question because I still struggle with sin like you. Why is wisdom better than having cash? I mean, a lot of times, money seems very useful. And all of us would say, like, if we just had more money, we'd totally be great stewards. That's what we always tell ourselves. Why is having wisdom better than having your heart's desire for wealth? Because let's be honest, having money doesn't assure that you'll know how to invest it wisely. Having possessions in this life doesn't actually mean that you're going to enjoy them. Having all the treasure you want does not actually guarantee that you will prosper. Wisdom, on the other hand, is better than wealth because rich or poor, you are equipped to live a good life built on eternal treasure that does not fade nor diminish. Which leads us to another truth that we see in verses 12 through 21. Wisdom gives us what we need to live. Wisdom gives us what we need to live. So after telling us that she speaks only what is true and telling us that having her is better than wealth, Lady Wisdom begins to stack up reasons for us to seek her. Wisdom gives us what we need to live. So after telling us that she speaks only what is true and telling us that having her is better than wealth, Lady Wisdom begins to stack up reasons for us to seek her. These verses are an enticement to us, but the best kind of enticement. It's almost as if wisdom is daring us to compare our selfish desires with what she herself will bring us. And she stacks them up in these verses. Wisdom gives us discernment. That's what, what is meant by those words prudence, knowledge, and discretion. Wisdom gives us a right understanding of who we are. We are equipped to fear the Lord and can see the foolishness of arrogance and pride. Wisdom gives us counsel that is sound or sturdy and strong, along with insight and strength that is not merely physical, but it's a strength that is mental and of the heart. And these verses actually resonate with something 
we see from the prophet Isaiah, which actually point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah chapter 11. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now if you think about this, the sage here personifies wisdom as lady wisdom just as he personifies foolishness in the forbidden woman. But, but we actually know who's behind the masks. Who would desire to manipulate you to destruction? Who would care nothing for your life, but would use you for his own gain? You know the answer. The forbidden woman speaks with a hiss, if you listen closely for she's representative of Satan. Yet Lady Wisdom speaks of life, reveals truth, promises eternal value and good, and brings you to the Lord who made you. You see, Lady Wisdom is representative of the one who has come, who possessed all discernment, all knowledge, all strength, and is the rightful ruler of all creation. Lady Wisdom is a signpost to the Messiah. Just as Isaiah was pointing to the one who would come with perfect wisdom. And church, I want to remind you, do not lose sight of this, that this wisdom is offered to you, not withheld from you. Don't forget the invitation. This is not some treasure that God only gives to a select few. No, wisdom is freely offered to all who will believe and accept her. And Lady Wisdom was promised to the Son and held out as a precious treasure that he should pursue and value above all else. We know now on this side of the cross, true wisdom is given to us in Christ. That we would be wise if we would come to him and receive him. I mean, Gary reminded reminded us of this a few weeks ago. Wisdom ultimately is a person. And wisdom here equips us even to lead. Look at verses 15 and 16. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and all nobles, who, and nobles all who govern justly. Now, you may look at those verses and think, oh, that's not true. I've seen the leaders of this world and they don't seem to recognize wisdom at all. Well, a bit of attention to the wording will help us grasp two truths placed side by side. First, no one rules anything apart from the will of God. One commentator said this well, Scripture lays down a truth that offends men. There is no power but of God. The powers that are ordained of God. But the second truth here is that those rulers who are wise are revealed as wise by governing justly. 
which is why Paul instructs us in 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is why we do this every week. This is why Chad helped us pray for those who are in authority today. Solomon and Paul are both aware that those who are in authority are where they are because God has placed them there. Thus, it is good that we desire them to rule justly. And it's our charge to pray for them to that end. But our prayers for those men and women are not ultimately so that we can just have a better society but in order that the gospel might shine more brightly. This is why we don't lose heart when we see rulers and authorities who are ungodly and unjust. Because history has proven from the very beginning of the church in Acts, it is often government persecution that results in gospel expansion. Yes, let's pray for our nation to prosper, but not in wealth and prestige alone but by in the proclamation and receiving of the gospel. When we see godly wisdom in those in authority, we rejoice because there is the echo of the wisdom of Christ who is good in authority. When we see ungodly foolishness from those in authority, we can also rejoice because we know if we are in Christ, we have a better king who's coming again and his reign will only ever be marked with wisdom. And you are invited to have this wisdom. There's hope for us to possess wisdom in the places where God has placed us to lead. We can model Christ for those in our care. Moms, you can exercise good authority if you will pursue wisdom. Dads, you can model Christ as you wisely lead your family. Elders, pastors, we seek to lead with wisdom as Christ exercising good authority. Church, We seek to exercise good leadership toward one another as we submit to Christ. This ruling wisdom is not only for those in high positions. Remember, this is street-level wisdom. If we come to wisdom, we can lead wisely, which is what we so desperately need, isn't it? Yet the reality that we've seen already And we see again is that this wisdom isn't given to everyone, only those who love and seek her diligently. That's verse 17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Then again, after that, we see the supreme value of wisdom. For it is wisdom that actually enriches our lives, not merely with money, but with a righteous life. Again, for what good is wealth with unrighteousness? Do we not see the sad state of those who have great material wealth and yet are unrighteous? I mean, we could list any number of bad examples of the insanely rich who have no sense of satisfaction. Wisdom, on the other hand, is not a lottery ticket to a big bank account, but the roadmap for a righteous life. Wisdom gives profound happiness because through wisdom we see Christ and live as he has called us, lives bound for glory. 
And then, almost like showing credentials or her resume, wisdom turns to reveal her presence in the very fabric of the God-created cosmos. It's almost like wisdom says to us, just so you know that I'm able to deliver, let me tell you my qualifications. Now that may seem odd to us, but it shouldn't surprise us. Because the doctrine of creation and of our creator is the hard evidence that he actually knows how we ought to live. So the truth we have before us is actually kind of two truths on either side of a coin in verses 22 through 31. It's twofold. One, wisdom is revealed in in creation. On the other side, wisdom reveals our creator. Wisdom is revealed in creation and wisdom reveals our creator. You see, foolishness begins with the denial that you are a created being. Said another way, foolishness grows where people believe they are self-made. Wisdom begins with fearing the Lord because we know we have a creator. Foolishness is built upon self-image. Wisdom points us to the image of God in us. This is why wisdom takes us back to creation and reminds us that she was there from the beginning, even before the world began. Here, the teacher tells us that wisdom was God's first possession, that wisdom was present as he spoke and spun the cosmos into being, that with every creative stroke and phrase, the Lord spoke, wisdom was at his right side, right at his side. Now, there's an important issue we need to pause and think on for a minute. We need to pause in these verses, and I want to introduce you to a man named Arius. Arius lived from the mid-250 AD, 250s AD, until the mid-320s, around 256 to around 326 AD. Arius was the bishop of Alexandria, and he is recognized as the father of one of the greatest heresies in the history of the church. And he built his heresy on this text alongside other texts. Arius argued that this passage is talking about Jesus. So far, so good. Got something? We're on to something there. But that he believed that this passage taught that Jesus was God's first creation. He denied that Jesus was eternal and said Jesus was exalted, but not God himself, not eternal. He denied Jesus' eternal existence. Arius functionally denied the Trinity. Now, he wasn't very successful in his life. Matter of fact, in 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea gathered, and that was a gathering of these councils where church councils were the gathering of all the influential pastors and bishops and leaders in the church would gather when there was a threat to the gospel or a threat to orthodoxy. And this council was gathered, and it was concerning the nature of God and the nature of Christ according to the scriptures. And that council, the council of Nicaea, rightly condemned the interpretation of Arius. Instead, coming from that council, we received one of the richest creeds in all of church history, the Nicene Creed, which begins with these words. I think we've got them for you. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, 
begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Though he was condemned, Arianism, as it became, came to be called, actually took root in many churches and in many church leaders, such that Arianism has occurred throughout church history and it's actually still with us today. But before we get there, you should meet another, another man. You should know that Arius had an opponent. The church had a fierce defender of the faith named Athanasius, who became the most, most prominent defender of Jesus' divinity, and he penned the two great treatises that you can still read today that defend the truth of Christ's deity and his divinity and his incarnation and showed the errors of Arius. They didn't have great titles back then for their books. So just to know, you'll find one book called On the Incarnation. What's he writing about? The Incarnation. His second one, Orations or Sermons Against Arians. Really clear, like orations against Arians. That's it. Athanasius, that defender of the faith, was exiled five times for defending the faith against Arianism. Because as the Arian heresy gained popularity, truth did not. And this pastor was deposed multiple times for years of his life because he would not bow to foolishness, but rather he possessed wisdom. For Athanasius, having truth, having wisdom was better than having position, popularity, or prestige even in the church. So why am I telling you all of this? First, this text, again, was one of the texts that Arius based his view on, specifically verses 22 and 23, saying that these verses are talking about Jesus and revealing him as a created being. Yet he built that on the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and did what we must be careful about when we read the Old Testament and look for Jesus. You see, Athanasius wrote the definitive response to Arianism. The church clearly defined what Christian truth was in the Nicene Creed, but the heresy did not die. It just changed its name. Arianism is alive and well today in the kingdom halls around us. Arius' followers are known as Jehovah's Witnesses. In the church, we must defend our, our faith against such heresy, heresy fiercely when needed. But beloved, we must also pray for these people. Friends and neighbors who have been trapped by false teaching and foolishness. The Jehovah's Witnesses are not promoting Christian truth. They go about denying it in their blasphemy against Christ. They do not know Lady Wisdom. They deny her. They have embraced folly and, beloved, we ought to pray for them and evangelize them that they would learn to fear the one true God and follow him. So why chase that rabbit trail? First, you need to know this. Heresy is very often built on bad Bible interpretation. Most heresies do not deny the Bible, they twist it. Certainly, we see the reflection of the Lord Jesus in Lady Wisdom, but as a type, 
not as the actual person of Jesus. In the Old Testament, we are given specific descriptions of the coming Messiah and prophecies concerning him, and yet we are also given types. People who are not Jesus, but a type of Christ. A type of Messiah is a pattern of one who would come. Here, Lady Wisdom is a type of Christ. She is a signpost and a promise of the wisdom that was to come in the flesh for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, to help you not miss the point. Yes, we see Jesus in Lady Wisdom here, but not as a creation, rather as the eternal Son of the Father, present and active with God in creation. Again, we hear the echo of the Apostle John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The point of this glorious description of wisdom is to be desired above all else because wisdom existed before any of us did. It's revealed in the fabric of the created world through oceans and ecosystems, through forests and deserts, through mountains and plains. All of this world testifies to the God who made it and the glories of his son, Jesus Christ. And wisdom doesn't hide himself from us. God is revealed in his creation, and in him we behold our creator. Where is wisdom found? In the God who made the world and made you in his image. And beloved church, see what love God has for you. Far more than the world he made with all its glories. Verse 30, Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Do you see that? The Lord delights in you. What a treasure that we, mere children of man made from dust of the earth, are the delight of God. How can we know that to be true? How can you know that to be true today, that God delights in you. Beloved, you need to look no further than the cross. For it is in the cross of Jesus we see foolishness destroyed and wisdom victorious. The delight of God in us was revealed in the price he paid for us. He did not send a created being to die in our place. He sent his very own son, the living word of God, the second person of the Trinity to take on flesh and die in our place. This God who marked out the borders of the seas and plumbed their depths appointed for us a Savior in His wisdom who would bring us into His very presence where we delight in Him and He delights in us. In these final verses, this chapter closes with, again, the choice of paths. Heed wisdom's invitation and find true life in the God who made us for Himself or reject her invitation and discover only injury and ultimate death. So friend, what sense does it make to hear this great offer and turn away? Why would you seek wisdom apart from God where it cannot be found? Why would you hear this invitation to life and choose death? Wisdom isn't for the elite or for the intellectual, the smart, the beautiful, the savvy, the popular. No wisdom cries above the streets where normal people like you and me can hear. 
So will you hear her words this morning and run to Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom are found? Church, let's do that. Let's flee the foolishness of this world together and run together to wisdom in our gracious Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.